This is Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center. I'm very pleased to add material to our Dialogue on Teaching podcast. The Wabash Center is re-releasing in podcast format the video series, The Eye That Teaches. The Eye That Teaches, produced by Associate Director Tim Lake, interviewed senior scholars to talk about their teaching lives. These scholars provide great insights into their experiences as teachers and mentors. I want to thank our sound engineer, Dr. Paul Myrie, who has worked with this technology, as well as provided original music that frames the podcast. This is Dialogue on Teaching. Dr. Mitzi Smith is on the faculty of Columbia Theological Seminary. She is the Davison Phillips Professor of New Testament. Dr. Smith, as a womanist scholar and an African-American biblical interpretations expert, is known for her piercing and radical interpretations. We hope you enjoy this edition of The Eye That Teaches. I teach at Ashland Theological Seminary in their Detroit Center, outside of Detroit. My area of expertise is New Testament, although ever since I've been there, I've taught both Testaments, Hebrew Bible and New Testament. Oh, I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Born and raised in Columbus, Ohio. Not, not so big, uh, raised in a single parent home. My mom uh, uh, had four children and I was for a long time the youngest. Uh, and so I have three, two sisters and one brother and uh, they all still live in Columbus. Yes, yes, my mother grew up in the Methodist Episcopal Church in Cleveland, Tennessee, and uh, so she was a uh, Methodist Episcopal all her, most of her life. Uh, when she moved to Ohio, a uh, big part of her life, she became ill and couldn't really take us to church, and so we visited neighborhood churches, Presbyterian, sometimes went to church with my grandmother, uh, uh, who was Baptist, and so, uh, and then later became Seventh-day Adventist, and then I left the Seventh-day Adventist church, and now I'm AME. I think it was always there in my mother. You know, I see her as the um, uh, paradigmatic, ex uh, uh, that, that model of what it means to be religious and a Christian for me. Um, in different ways, the church has disappointed, right? Uh, uh, but I can always, always felt I could look to my mother as that example of what love looks like, what being inclusive looks like, right? Um, and so for me, uh, she was always about helping someone else, right? Uh, regardless of whether she had much or little, she was always about, you know, being there for other people. Uh, my mother very uh, valued education, although uh, uh, she went to two years. Uh, well, let me say this, she had a better high school education than I did. Right? In the South, unfortunately, segregated schools, but yet she had two years of Latin, two years of French in high school, right? was valedictorian of her high school class. Uh, when I went to high school, uh, there wasn't, even though I was a good student, there wasn't that much emphasis on necessarily getting the languages and all that kind of stuff. But my mother valued education. Uh, she had two years of college, um, pushed me to get a doctoral degree before I even could, you know, think about what I would want to do with it. Uh, uh, although I'm the first in my family to get uh, uh, to finish a bachelor's degree, but my brother and sister, my older brother and sister, have since. Uh, in their 50s and 40s, gotten their, finished their bachelor's degrees, and so the first to get graduate degrees. 
Uh, so first, I, I never wanted to go to college. I just wanted to get out and get a job, right? So I worked at Nationwide Insurance Company. Uh, I had excellent office skills. Worked there for a few months, and uh, I said, this is for the birds. And said, okay, I can do a two-year uh, degree because I won't be in school that long. And, and just kept going and going, and people kept asking me, when are you going to stop going to school, right? This is somebody who did not want to be in school this long, right? Uh, but I think when you have a purpose and you have a goal, you have to just keep going until you get there, right? <laughs> I went to a two-year school first, Columbus State in Columbus, Ohio. Then I went to an Adventist school because, to study theology, Columbia, uh, Columbia Union College in Tacoma Park, Maryland. Then I went to Ohio State for a master's in black studies, and then Howard University for my MDiv, and then ended up at Harvard for my PhD. I went from being a legal assistant and legal secretary to all the way up to, you know, it was a long journey, but to being a, um, a, a, getting a doctoral degree and uh, teaching in the academy. So I think they keep me humble because they just see me as Minsty, right? <laughs> And, uh, you know, we get, I get in sometimes little arguments over uh, certain uh, uh, intellectual or political discussions we get into, but they just see me as Mitzi, right? I'm all, I was the baby for a long time. Uh, but there are people, I think, sometimes who don't understand uh, your journey or they somehow think that you've changed uh, in terms of your, uh, who you are at heart. Um, you know, I've heard people say, oh, okay, Mitzi went off and went to school, so she doesn't really care anything about this anymore, right? Things like that, right? Uh, but that's not who I am. Uh, for me, that's more about them than it is about me. Right? My mother's faith uh, is foundational, uh, was foundational and still foundational in terms of what it means to care about other people, right? And be actively involved in helping and assisting other people. I think what is different is uh, she didn't, they didn't have a faith that was uh, critical, right? That was, that you just accept things as they were given you and as it was told to you, right? Certain theological constructions. Uh, they didn't question, right? You just believed. But my faith has developed into more of a, a critical faith, right? For example, uh, and, and an essay I, I wrote was based on my reflecting on this verse I would hear all the time, and my mother and others were repeated that I have not seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. But I would think about it, and there were times in our life where we did have to beg. Right? I'm like, my mother, but my mother was a just person and a very hardworking person, right? Uh, she, at a, at a point when I was about 10, lost the use of her legs, but she would walk. If she had to get to work, she would walk in the snow and ice from one end of Columbus to the other to get to a job, right? Uh, and, uh, but so, uh, looking back, I would question that verse. At first, she wouldn't question. I'm like, that did not that did not represent our reality, right? And so, we need to rethink how we talk about texts like that, right? because that's one person's testimony. That's not every just person's testimony. What I hope I'm doing. Some days I don't know. <laughs> is getting people to think, right, about how the text may or may not be relevant, right, uh, to their lives and how we need to rethink 
um, some of the things we just regurgitate, right, and, uh, uh, and end up oppressing other people with, and even ourselves, right, uh, not permitting ourselves to struggle with text and with God, and, and hopefully helping students also to recognize that there is a distinction between uh, the biblical text, it is a human text, a very human text, no matter how sacred you regard it, right? And struggling with the fact that there's a difference between that text you, and, and the many interpretations and the gods you say you serve, they're not the same, right? And we need to be distinguishing the two and, and, and figuring out what it, what it is uh, that is still empowering in the context in which we find ourselves, right? Uh, instead of assuming somebody else's context who may not be dealing with the same issues that you're dealing with. But how can the text speak to us and those we minister to, right? And also being aware of our own privilege. Everybody has some privilege, right? What, what is it, um, uh, what is the privilege in which I stand, right? As much as I remember being poor, and as much as I still may be poor in some regards, right, that, that, that many people don't have a degree from an Ivy League school. Many don't have uh, degrees, period, right? And that gives me a certain a privilege, right? Uh, and even to stand in front of them in a, in a position I do gives me a certain privilege. I think about the women in my class, right? who struggle in churches uh, who, uh, to, to find their voices and even to use their voices, right? And, but, but being in the academy, I may have a similar struggle, but not the same struggle, right? So in a sense, I have a privilege. Uh, I can make certain decisions, right, as a, a teacher and a minister that don't impact me the same way that it does the woman who's sitting under a certain pastor in a church. Uh, teaching is one of my vocations, right? um, and I think they overlap, right? When I first entered the classroom, I think I resisted being pastoral in the classroom, uh, but I had to learn that I could not separate those hats. I may not be in a church, but I still have a role and a necessity and a responsibility to be pastoral towards my students. Uh, you know, we want to say, well, they're grown, and so I shouldn't have to do this, that, and the other, but they're human beings too, right? And they're trying to navigate this part of their lives, and, uh, and I need to stop, and, and they're going through a lot of different things, right? I've had, I've had many students uh, teaching in the Detroit area who's who have lost children, right, uh, uh, who've been murdered on the streets. Right? Uh, and some of them actually come to seminary trying to, as if this is, um, uh, as, the, as if they see the classroom as a, as a therapist's couch, so far, right? And they're working through these issues. And I have students every year uh, uh, without fail, who, uh, who, who write on a paper, uh, uh, when they do an uh, exegesis paper for me, they do it in parts, and the first part is to tell me about yourself and how that may impact how you read scripture, something, you know, we can't write it all, but something about yourself. And I always have a student who, who shares how they've been raped or molested as a child, right? And so, you know, they, they, they bring all of this baggage, and then there are students who are intimidated 
by the professor for different reasons, and they're trying to negotiate that. And so I have to be pastoral. I have to be compassionate. I have to. I can't just stand there as if this as this disconnected teacher. And so that is yes, teaching is my vocation, but it's also uh, a place where I also act as a pastor. Is teaching a part? I, I say, I, I'd say yes in the sense that um, uh, as a part of my vocation, which is very much in t- tied up in, in, in terms of who I am, right? I teach with all I am. Right? Everything that, uh, uh, that I am, I bring to the task of teaching. Yes, it is a part of my identity, and it informs my identity, right? I'm shaped. I'm shaped in the classroom, uh, I'm shaped by the car, I'm shaped by living out the car, right? How do I know when I, something, a lot of times you just don't, <laughs> just hoping, right? But I think sometimes you feel that you got it right when students tell you that you've impacted their lives in real ways, right? I have this, for the first time I have a student I teach in the Detroit metro area. We have centers in Columbus, Cleveland, and Ashland, Ohio. I have a female student who comes every week. This is not a weekend class. Every week to my to my engaging text and context class. She's she's driving from Cleveland to from Cleveland, Ohio, right, to my class every week. Uh, and she's just saying, you know, the professors down there are wonderful, but you have really, you just don't know, you have changed my life. Right? You've helped me to find my voice, she said to me. And she said this in tears, and she says, you know, I talk about this class all the time, and guess what, there's a student coming up next week, and he's going to drive every week. And he doesn't have anybody, she had relatives up here, and he doesn't have anybody to stay. So you feel like that some, that, that when people can tell you that, uh, that and you can see it. She shared. She doesn't say much in class, but when she, uh, she recently shared, I was just amazed that the way she was reading a text differently based on a, the the situation that she was in. Right, uh, uh, recently with a, a, a sick relative. Um, so when you see it, you hear it, and 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 students share it, you feel like okay. Um, uh, what I'm doing is 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 effective in some way, right, and transformative in some way. Because there are many days where you ask yourself, "What am I doing here? <laughs> Why am I still here?" Right? Uh, I, I think we have to take a lot of responsibility in the classroom. Right? If if ten students uh, don't get an assignment right, and it's twelve. There's something I do <laughs> wrong, right? And I have learned over the years with every assignment, I don't care how simple, I have to give an example. And early on, I used to give students examples of parts of exegesis papers. I would quickly pull something together and give to them, right? And I had students say, well, Dr. Smith, um, you just want us to be like you, and you know, and we're students. And so eventually I just start uh, uh, giving them examples of student papers that, that have done well. See, you can do this too. Right? They, they started where you are with almost nothing, and this is what they have come to. It's a journey, but you can get there too. Am I always a teacher? I think in as much as it is a part of my identity, yes, but I think that I have to be cognizant of the fact that uh, there are lines of authority, right? That when I'm not in the classroom, you know, that um, 
uh, well, well, let me say this. Even in the classroom, I've learned that um, over the years that there, there is a dialogue that should take place, right? Uh, early on, we're taught to teach uh, in, in ways that we're just lecturing, right? And so teaching, just like learning, is more about dialogue, helping students engage in dialogue, me engaging in dialogue with them. So I think in terms of the way my teaching has developed, yes, I'm always teaching and I'm always learning. So, uh, yes, but there's always that, what does that mean, right? And so being a teacher always doesn't mean I'm always uh, expecting you to be some passive learner at my feet, right? Know that I'm engaging in dialogue with you and uh, hoping that we can learn something from each other, right? I think that's what teaching is all about. It's not about, you know, expecting you to, you know, I have something special and expecting you always to receive something from me, right? But a give and take, right? But still it's tricky with, with family members still, right? Majority still teachers are taught to be, uh, uh, to teach students to be passive learners, right? And I think if we, if we can all learn to engage at a different level, in a different way, in a dialogical way, right, and that we're always giving and taking, definitely, you know, they're, they're, uh, uh, there's a role of teachers and teachers, uh, all kinds of people are teachers, not just those who go to school, you know, we're always teaching and learning from each other, right, parents and our first teachers, right. Uh, depending on how you think about rewarding, right? <laughs> there, there, there's the monetary and then there's the other, right? Uh, uh, in this profession, in, in seminaries, uh, you definitely don't do it for a monetary reward, right? Especially in this climate where, where everybody's taking pay cuts and so forth, right? Uh, but um, it, it, it is rewarding, like I said, when you see that light bulb go off, right? Or when I see my own progress as a teacher, right? And I think back, I'm like, students who had me when I first started, you know, I was a terror, right? <laughs> and students, some students uh, characterize it as Dr. Smith has mellowed out over the years. Uh, but I've learned to be a better teacher, right? So that's rewarding just to grow, the, the, the growth that I experience on its own, right? And then the growth that you see in students and to see students uh, who um, who just thought they couldn't do certain things, right, to accomplish. That's, that's rewarding, right? We hope you've enjoyed listening to scholars talk about their teaching life. And we're out. How was that, Paul?